Welcome back, audience, to the A24 on the Rocks podcast with me, your favorite host of all time. It's Kelly, back at it again. We're talking about Son of a Gun, I Spilled My Wine. Just kidding, that's the name of the, that's the, name of the movie. And I am drinking a nice glass of Pinot Grigio. Right after me, here's my lovely husband. I am Eric, and I am also drinking a glass of Pinot Grigio. I think it's called Escape with Co. Uh, it says ESC... Uh, C slash O on the bottle. So I think that's what it's called. It's from California. Anyway, up next we have Kevin. Good evening, world. It's been a while. I'm back. And tonight I am drinking a old favorite, standby if you will, the Four Roses, a small batch, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. Neat, because it feels like a good evening for some bourbon. And next we have my good friend. Hey, what up? It's your boy, Blaze Fitzgerald, Ryan the First. Uh, tonight I am drinking, I'm finishing off the uh, Jack Honey, and I put a little splash of OJ in it for flavoring, um, just because I'm weird like that. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, much like a good Christmas, there is no cold tonight, so let's uh, ju- <laughs> let's jump right in. <laughs> Fortunately, yeah, somebody uh, sat on his face and broke his nose. Ah, uh, poor Cole. <laughs> Well, that's what happens when you meet your OnlyFans favorite, you know? <laughs> Raise your glass to Cole and his, and his nose. confused with the 2019 film of the same name about a post-Civil War story. This one is, had been released in 2014, and it's very Australian, written and directed by an Australian man himself, Julius Avery, who pulled some inspiration from his own life to create this story about a character named J.R. I'm calling him J.R. Do we call him no, Junior? No, call him J.R. J.R. J.R busts out of prison with Brendan Lynch, Australia's most notorious criminal, and joins Lynch's gang for a gold heist that soon pits the two men against each other. Whoa. (laughs) So, I wanted to give more backstory on Julius Avery, because I found an interview with him from a Perth publication online, uh, where he kind of talked about making this film, because this was his debut feature. Before this, he did a lot of short films, um, and as I mentioned, he's very Australian, very proud of Western Australia, where he's from, and this movie very much features Western Australia. He has two other movies that are out, and because it's such a small amount of films that are out, I wanted to make mention of them. Uh, His one that he released after this in 2018 was called Overlord. If anyone had heard of that, it's a action horror with pretty good uh, reviews and there's a new one coming out pretty soon later this month in August featuring Sylvester Stallone in a superhero uh, flick and it's called Samaritan. So I wanted to make mention of these two things. This being his very first movie, uh, well debut movie, what are our first kind of thoughts on the theme? I mean it's written and directed by him so what did we think hearing about this movie and what did we think about just like really early on did you get any kind of just like flavor kevin let's go with you first all right so as we like to do with our opening vibes um but 
let's talk a little bit about what you kind of talked about, how this movie fits into a certain vein of this Australian action film, this um, this over-the-top kind of genre film that um, at the time was actually really popular. Um, this The bleak outback look, um, kind of in that rover vein, right, where it's uh, Australian cinema um, is taking off at this point. It's putting out a lot of big names, and it's taking a lot of Hollywood A-list actors um, and also creating a lot of Hollywood actors that move into that slap. So I thought that was kind of a cool thing to see how this movie slotted into that. But the actual film itself, um, I loved the vibe of getting to know our main character right off the bat, right? We meet JR in the very first opening scenes, and you kind of get this feeling um, from a character standpoint that he's not supposed to be there. Um, he might have committed maybe a minor crime or was framed or some way found himself on the wrong side of the tracks. Um, the visual, right, was hardened criminals, the yard, the tattoos, the familiar imagery of prison life, and that was pretty cool. Like, the immediate immersion into the scenes, um, they did a really good job. The filming location of being an actual maximum security prison was a really cool touch by the director um, and really allowed us to kind of get into that vibe right off the bat. Um, and in a movie where the first prison scene only lasts about the first 15, 20 minutes of the movie, it's really important to get that vibe immediately for the viewer. Um, and I thought our director did an excellent job of uh, uh, capturing that. Yeah, so I've, like, when I first started watching this movie, I realized it was going to be, like, start out in Australian prison, and I heard from somebody else that, uh, like, Australia is like the United States, and New Zealand is like Canada over there, and um, I was really wondering what the Australian prison system was going to be like, and it is kind of reminiscent to the American prison system. Outside the United States, they have much different prison systems elsewhere, and yeah, it definitely seemed like an American prison for all intents and purposes in, in that uh, vein. I think I got a nice butt on JR, you know, when he's first undressing there. I thought he had a pretty nice butt, but uh, later, you know, it was kind of a not not a great scene um, when we saw his butt again. But, uh, but yeah, I, I actually got some pretty good open vibes, opening vibes from this. I, I like the, the theme in the background. I, I thought this was going to be like an A24 film from the start. First, I want to weigh in on Eric's comment. I wrote down in my notes um, this uh, this uh, Jr. who was played by Benton Tawadis. I was like, this guy looks like Orlando Bloom had a baby with Hayden Christensen, and then I put hot. So um, yeah. that's what I was. Uh, and it turns out he was Orlando Bloom's son in uh, Dead Men Tell No Tales: Pirates of the Caribbean. So I mean, go the man figure. has literally played Prince Charming in a movie. So. At this point, he gave me very um, like Justin Bieber. Kind yeah, of I look. got Justin Bieber vibes for sure. He's got those doe eyes. Oh man, so good. Yeah, big old. Anyways, eyes. Uh, yeah. So this is one of the few movies where I did actually some like behind the scenes research because I know you guys usually do it, and uh, I felt compelled. So uh, I also read an interview by uh, the director Julius Avery, and uh, what I found out was uh, after I watched the movie where I'd like seen some of the beats before. So. He was inspired by famed producer Michael Mann. Michael Mann, he uh, produced Miami Vice, both the movie and the TV show, The Insider, starring Al Pacino, and Heat, starring Al Pacino. These, like, uh, you know, criminal, like, underbelly, like, but kind of, like, blown out over, like, the one big heist. Looking back on it, I can definitely see uh, his, it's the spiritual successor of The Insider or Heat, for sure. And yeah, I thought the, uh, just like Eric and Kevin were saying, the beginning was very, very interesting, uh, the way they integrated him into to prison life, the way he started out as, you know, just a low-level offender, and he had to, uh, 
quote unquote, prove himself in front of Ewan McGregor's character, Brendan, to uh, try to get his way into the underworld. I thought it was going to take a lot longer time in prison, which kind of surprises me. But I thought the way it was set up and from the beginning to where he is actually released, I thought um, it was a very interesting sequence of events. Sequence of events. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that opening the movie with just like being immediately put into prison is good like for your audience to kind of immediately be in the same shoes as your character as your main character and i think that in previous episodes um i might have said like that's something that means a lot to me i like to be on like the same kind of intro as who i'm gonna follow through the movie so i think that was a great thing and it reminded me of um a clockwork orange uh how he gets in, put into prison about midway through the film and it slows down the pacing and changes everything. And I was like, what if we just took that, put it at the beginning and that's your slide into the movie. And it's also like the slowest part of it. Um, so I thought that that was great. It's also a great look at a theme that's going to carry us throughout the movie, which is just a brutal look at masculinity, specifically Australian masculinity, and um, where the strengths and negatives come from that. And there's a lot of negative that we see in those opening scenes. Kevin? A quick note on the opening. uh, A small scene that I really enjoyed was uh, when he was getting his hair cut um, there right at the beginning. You kind of have those big long locks and then it goes down. Um, In an interview with, how do you pronounce his name? I tried, but Brenton Thwatis, right? He said that that was um, the actual barber in the prison that did that scene. Um, So that was an authentic piece right there, kind of getting shaved and put him into the moment, too. And as a method actor, like, that's got to be pretty cool, actually being put into that situation where, like, the actual barber of the jail that you're acting in is shaving your head and, like, throwing you in the cell. Like, I thought that was cool. Yeah, that is a good tidbit. And I got that kind of vibe. I didn't look up that thought myself, but I felt, I was like, this is authentic. This looks like a real prison haircut to me. And I like that you made mention of that. Okay, there's a big part about this movie that we haven't mentioned yet. And Blaze, you're talking about Al Pacino and these movies that um, inspired what would come of this one. There's this big name actor who's tied to this project. I don't know if you guys have heard of Ewan McGregor before. Who's that? Anakin, I have the high ground! (laughs) Oh yeah, we've screamed that before in this podcast. Obi-Wan. More into this this, uh, interview that I had been reading, uh, and I can't thank that website enough for providing it, but the director himself said that the likelihood of this film happening without Ewan agreeing to be part of it would have been pretty slim. So it was huge that he became part of it. I wanted to ask you all, you guys... um, what are your? What did you think of this addition to the film, and what did you have as your first thoughts upon seeing Ewan McGregor in this role? Eric, I'll start with you this time. Uh, first thoughts, he was playing chess, and I love a... I mean, I would say he's kind of the villain in this. I mean, the later we get a bigger villain. From the start, him playing chess and uh, JR going up to him, like giving him chess moves, I always love like getting kind of a devious character that has little hobbies like chess or something. So I, I thought that that was a really cool addition. I don't know. But uh, also, I yeah, I think he's a great actor. I, I've always thought he's a great great actor. And I think from the start, I really was getting into his role in this movie. Kevin? So I thought this was a unique opportunity for you and McGregor to do something that he probably normally hasn't done or hasn't done a lot, which is play that 
vicious, we'll call it vile in this circumstance, kind of dangerous character. A lot of his protagonist roles have been um, lovable face characters, lovable uh, heroes, uh, main characters that we're supposed to enjoy as an audience. But this one, as Eric kind of alluded to, um, has kind of got an evil side to him. He does have some qualities that attach the audience to him uh, as well. Uh, a sly sense of humor, uh, a dry wit, some kind of side of him that makes you have some sort of apathy towards what he's going through and kind of emotion. Uh, but that just speaks to how great of an actor Ewan McGregor is in general, right? If he's able to kind of take all of those different emotions from feeling like he's being taken advantage of by our main big boss or to where he's clearly the bad guy taking advantage of other people or he's being the, the savior uh, of JR in jail, but then turning around and hurting other people, but also then defending the honor of small girls uh, being raped by bad men when he kicks out one of his members of his own crew. So I thought, in general, it's a really good question because Ewan McGregor, like you said, kind of is the tour de force of this film, um, but he allows the other people around him to kind of shine. Um, not as much as we've seen in some of our other films, but I think that Ewan McGregor does an excellent job in general, and I enjoyed his uh, performance. I agree. Blaze, you want to weigh in? Yeah, I, uh, I think uh, both Eric and Kevin hit the nail pretty hard on the head on this one. I thought Ewan McGregor was a great ad. I specifically put in my notes, uh, we'll talk about the movie as it progresses, obviously. I put Ewan McGregor and Alicia Vigander, who plays Tasha, the femme fatale, they act way better than the characters that are given to them. How bare bones everyone is, how next scene, next scene, next scene this movie is. I thought uh, it was really cool, as Kevin said, to see Ewan McGregor play a shysty, sadistic, lowlife. He kind of has some humanity in him, but throughout the movie, he's stringing the main character along, uh, JR. Just the way that he leads him down this rabbit hole of crime um, is very, very, like, way better than the character of Brendan Lynch deserves. So I have to give Ewan McGregor hats off. I do have to say that beginning scene where he's playing chess, I thought he was a famous chess player in jail because they hadn't <laughs> established that he yeah. was a he was a robber. So I was like, because yeah. uh, Jared comes up to him, he's like, oh, you know, I know who you are. I know everything about you. And I was like, oh, well, he's playing chess. Maybe this is going to get like a take a weird turn where he becomes friends with the. That was also my first impression, Blaze, too. I'm like, is this Bobby Fischer gone bad? Like, what happened here? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I the same. <laughs> that would have been cool if they actually stuck with that too throughout the film. But, oh, right. Well. <laughs> Although chess was an interesting theme throughout with kind of different parts. Oh, I, but, I have a, I have a lot know. of things to say about chess. Yeah. Excellent. Well, let's let's talk about chess. I mean, we don't always have to go in a completely chronological way. Everyone who listens to this show should know by now it's filled with spoilers. So there's no reason that we have to go one by one. I think that the chess aspect of this movie was maybe my favorite little part of it. The fact that when we meet Sam, like the big, big bad, and he's mostly just kind of waiting to hear what his next opponent's chess move is, is such an interesting piece of character for... Uh, him as well as towards the ending scene and his first problem when he walks into the room is who moved this chess piece and it just continues throughout uh so i thought that the chess was great blaze did you say you had a lot to say about chess do you want to get it off your chest i have enough to fill up a little bit of time if you don't mind (laughs) so my immediate thought after the movie ended so i put in the first thing the first thing that he says to Ewan McGregor's character is that he's within three moves of checkmate, which the symbolism is, 
Ewan McGregor's character is always three moves ahead of everyone. He already knows what the outcome is going to be. He already has plan B, plan C, and plan D before you have plan A. They knock the king down as if checkmate when Sam, the big bad guy, uh, finds right before they kill him. They talk about how pawns are sacrificial lambs in chess. Mm. When uh, uh, JR is Ewan McGregor's pawn, he's his sacrificial lamb so he can get all the gold. And then the final thing that I saw was, funny enough, we mentioned Bobby Fischer. Bobby Fischer's uh, Go All In and You Can't Go Back moniker. Uh, that's also a parallel to JR's character of as soon as he helps these guys break out of jail, that's it. He can't like go back to the life that he was living. So the chess symbolism is actually everywhere in this movie, and I thought it was really brilliant. The issue is uh, kind of the rest of the movie, but we can talk about that. But yes, chess, good. Uh, before we get too much farther down the line, that move, that, that Son of Sorrow, Blaze kind of alluded to it with that idea of all in. But I really enjoyed how they started the movie with that reference, talking about the Son of Sorrow move, and then ended the movie with that pulling it all together line again. And we can talk about that in the conclusion, but it has that direct reference to that, that chess match. And I just thought that was a really cool idea that you can take an actual move, turn it into a plot device for your movie, and then make that run through the entire thing, even to come up with a line at the end when you're getting the big evil monologue speech from your main boss. I just, it was awesome. I had to write it down. It was really cool. So, Yeah, that's good. Good point. I saw somewhere it was described as a bit of like a cat and mouse story, the way that they're both kind of treaching in to see where you can get the upper hand on each other. Um, And it's not maybe cat and mouse as much as it is just one chases the other, but it's constant outsmarting as much as you can. And I feel that way when I play chess, where I'm playing both defense and offense at the same time. So I agree that it's like, I mean, you can't go wrong with chess in a crime heist no, thriller no, movie <laughs> it's a safe choice in fact if that would have been the central man we would have had something mm-hmm. that's right so in the story when jr gets out of prison it's pretty quick that he needs to start making up for the help that was given to him while he was in prison i wanted to ask you guys uh about that <laughs> My notes say the crazy techno gun guy. Yes, let's as talk I about called it. him. Chip tune. Uh, yeah, so he walks up to this trailer, and it is the loudest part of the film, with music just blasting to the point where you can't even hear Jr. knocking on the door. What are your guys' thoughts on that, Kevin? You seem the most excited. Right. Yeah, I mean, so our outback gun dealer, right? Our ecstasy taken, <laughs> rave listening, gun toting comedy relief of this fun movie um i enjoyed his character i also enjoyed jr's play off of him almost more this completely naive kid he's 19 year old he has no idea what he's doing he's joining organized crime for the first time they say here's a bunch of money go buy guns from this dude in the middle of nowhere and he gets there and the rave music's going like put yourself in that Mm -hmm. kid's shoes like, he's now got a crime boss who's expecting him to buy a bunch of things that he has no idea what to do. And this guy comes to the door just high as hell, like, trying to offer him drugs. And the scene takes an awesome turn when they kind of have that bonding moment over shooting the guns together. And if you've ever made anything explode with a firearm, you kind of got a uh, a, 
a moment where you're just like, whoa, it was very cool. Uh, I enjoyed that scene. I enjoyed that character. I thought that it was uh, really cool. And the costume design was excellent for him as well, even down to the flies on his face as they're lining up the rifles. Um, it was just a great scene in general, and I thought they did a, a good job. Yeah, Eric, you want to talk? You said chiptune, didn't you? Yeah, I think that was chiptune, right? Not techno. Like I, I know pe- electronic music listeners really get uh, in is, the weeds about what is chiptune. Chiptune's like video game music. Oh, um, it's but like, like video bit? game electronic music, kind of. Like you'll hear, yeah, you'll hear eight bit inspo yeah. and that kind of stuff. Yeah, okay. I got that vibe. I, yeah. I don't know my techno very well, but, but I love I love that character. Uh, you know, yeah, taking ecstasy, just dealing guns, listening to chiptune. Um, I wish we got more of them. And I that scene where he was just like gave him the huge, huge gun, and he's like, you "Just go shoot, man!" You know, and yep. and he's just like. JR's just sitting there, and the the gun is, like, bigger than his body, and he's, I don't know, just high off of his ass, just shooting a gun, you know, like, that was great. The bust out of prison following that was quite unrealistic, but uh, I, I think that that scene itself was a cool little reprieve before the action. Something else about that scene, and I will say it because if Cole was here, he would say it. He This man throws, like, three guns at this 19-year-old kid that are, like, full body size mm-hmm. they are huge guns and he just like stacks them and throws them at these guys this guy and he like catches them all in his arms like no problem aren't those like crazy heavy when yeah you run out yeah. and it seemed like they were like he was like loading them up before he tossed them too if cole was here he would he point would, this he would, out the so real have to do it for him <laughs> we're talking about how jr is 19 um and kevin you're talking about how how would you be able to do all this stuff when you're 19 my question, all of you have been 19-year-old guys. Surely, all of you would have been able to heist a helicopter, right? Yeah. Well, I, I think mean, the other guy was driving, Still, the pilot was still driving, right? You still had yeah, to be able okay. to convince him with so, a gun yeah. to do uh, it. In other crime movies, they will load up those guys with more drugs to like get them to get the courage to like go do something like that. But yeah, I, I felt that scene was super unrealistic from how we actually got out uh, to uh, landing a helicopter in a prison yard and getting somebody into the into the helicopter from the prison yard and just driving away and not uh, just one. It's all it's all just three fine. people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, yeah, three people. Yeah, it's all just fine. Uh, kind of unrealistic. Yeah. If, uh, sadly, if Cole Cole was here, I think he would really fill the rage uh, of that scene. But I mean, yeah, unrealistic. Yeah, was that helicopter even rated for five people? Like, come on. Uh, yeah, probably. Let's not. be honest yeah. here. I don't think so. And there was, like, this moment in the film, too, where, like, Ewan McGregor was, like, way back here still shooting uh, prison guards. Everyone else was already on the helicopter, and I was like, oh, no, they left him behind. And then they're flying, and he was actually in there shooting. And I was like, I'm not really sure when that happened. Although, I will... Blaze, were you going to say something? Oh, yeah. I interrupted. Blaze first, before I throw my tidbit. Oh, I was just uh, basically going to sort of agree with you guys, half agree. Um, I do believe that it was super duper unrealistic, and I wish they would have spent more time on JR's character development than maybe actually showing what happened. I think it would have been cool if he bought the guns, got to the airfield, and then, you know, like, deep breath, and then, you know, then they're all back together. But I do have to say that the writer, who I believe is also the director, Julius Avery, um, yes, he did a very good job at making it believable in the fact that Ewan McGregor's characters thought of everything. That would yeah. make this unrealistic, unbelievable event happen. So 
it did help push me along. I can totally understand what you guys are saying. Like, even just hearing now, like, when is the helicopter going to land in a prison yard? Um, but, you know, like I said, the way that the dots were, like, laid out for the breakout, it was at least grounded in that reality is, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, absolutely. He did a really as good job of making sure go. we believed that it could happen in the moment. Yeah, looking back on it from a movie reviewer and from a technical aspect, absolutely. But in the moment, I didn't have that moment like, Psh, that could never happen. I was actually <laughs> invested on in whether or not they were going to escape and that JR was going to successfully help them break out. Mm-hmm. On that whole bit, I was listening to another interview with Ewan McGregor on this, and he said that when they were doing the filming for this particular scene, they didn't use stuntmen for that spot, because you have zoom-ins on Ewan McGregor with that gun shooting at those people with the helicopter he said the pilot basically said all right buckle up and hold on as he's like pitching (laughs) forward and back and forth and Mm -hmm. he didn't have any experience doing that type of stuff so he really enjoyed that scene in particular that's so funny just the ridiculous of it yeah that's great that's pretty crazy (laughs) all right so our our merry gang of gentlemen escapes from prison and the first thing they do is kevin had said they hear themselves on the radio and they decide to leave the for lack of a better term and what he is they leave the rapist out to dry which was like i kind of like that they included this bit so we've got men that have some morals and they're gonna stand by them and they're gonna take justice however they feel like it just was like a quick little thing that they added that kind of told you more about the characters that we're going to continue to follow uh then we meet Big Bad Sam and the rest of his merry gang of gentlemen, as I'm going to keep calling them. And then we also meet Tasha, the one female that you're going to have in a male-dominated action flick. So we meet some other characters. We also meet Sam's like little lap dog named Josh. Josh was a standout character to me right from the beginning when he pretends that he has Tourette's by calling JR the F-slur multiple times. Any thoughts on... Any of the men- mentions of these characters that I just brought in, Kevin, is that a hand oh, raise? Or? Yeah, that is. But like, I feel like each one of those characters you mentioned may need a different spot. I don't want to talk about Tasha in the same vein that I want to talk about Josh because sure. I feel like they both bring different things. So I'll talk about Josh because I thought he was an interesting character. So yes, the nephew of Sam, the guy who gets included in everything because of his ties to the family. Uh, we've seen that character in cinema and story and film and TV a hundred times, but the way you make it unique is the way you have that character act. And that whining, sniveling dude was just excellent at making me want to get him pistol-whipped at every occasion. Mm -hmm. And when it finally Mm -hmm. happened, it was one of those hell yeah moments. And (laughs) that was just good. Good on the actor, good on Ewan McGregor for setting up that moment, good on the writing team. Like, I was supposed to be on the gold duty. Like, Mm -hmm. the way he just wind it, it was just perfect. I really enjoyed his kind of contributing factor. And even after they get back, after they're almost dying, he's still whining about not being on duty and, like, he's bleeding out the face. I just, like you said, he was a notable character. He did what he needed to do. And he was a major plot mover. Like, without him in the gold heist, we don't have the resolution that we have in that film so he was very necessary in it and he did a great job very much very much eric or blaze you want to weigh in on josh uh did, did a good job of being uh hated uh i i think he was a you know good supporting character to to shit on for lack of a better term uh throughout the movie 
uh, yeah, I thought he, like most other characters, I thought he was way too one-dimensional. You know, he was really just nothing more than a plot driver. You know, he was the sniveling little nephew punk, and that's all he did, and he did a really good job when he pushed him in the pool when he didn't know how to swim. It pissed me off, and it pissed me off more when I found out that he couldn't swim. So, um... <laughs> It's good to see him get his just desserts at the end. But other than that, like, yeah, just like everyone else, he's a one-dimensional plot character. He does this because movie needs to go here. So mm-hmm. that's my thoughts on Yeah. That. Josh gave me very, like, uh, one of, like, kid at the Char- Charlie's Chocolate Factory. Just like, please, can I have some more chocolates? <laughs> no. Uh, and then we have Tasha, who is our, as I said earlier, She's the female character, so she's here too. For me, Blaze, you're talking about one-dimensional characters. This is another one where I think that the writing of this movie was such a strong point, but when it came to Tasha, it was the major fall for me. There was not enough there. It was a clear instance of a woman written by a man, and I'm so sorry to say that to the director because he did a great job otherwise, but just not a lot going for me there, and... um, I feel like they try to turn it around by the end with her and try to bring this big twist right at the end of the film. And I'm sorry I'm jumping ahead, but they bring it like where she's on the phone. She says, never trust a woman. You were right. And it's like, what is, what is that wait, line? Wait. I'm, yeah, no, I'm, yeah. It makes it sends shivers down my spine, even speaking it right now. <laughs> Anyways, I wanted to just talk about Tasha is what I'm trying to say. Eric, you go first on this one. So when I first uh, we first met Tasha, I could already tell this was the damsel in distress uh, character that was going to lead to a star-crossed lover plot, and it was very cliche, and you're right. She made the character very, or not her, the director and white writer made the character very one-dimensional. She's like every other damsel distress I've seen in a crime movie. That was disappointing because uh, Alicia Vikander, uh, she's going to be an ex-machina in a few films that we're going to review, and she's awesome in that she's awesome in the green knight she's a great actress and i feel like she was her talents were kind of wasted in this film that's when the film or the film really started to started to go downhill for me um i i wouldn't say it's as bad as like revenge of the green dragons and making the uh female character one-dimensional good comparison good comparison yeah Yeah. but it's (laughs) it's that kind of same idea where they needed to add more depth to her for me to make her a believable character and i one more point here I kind of, like, was hoping this film was going to be about how the prison system, especially when you have, like, the kind of prison system they have in Australia and in the United States, how it creates more convicts, uh, how a lot of people that are in prison end up going back to prison because uh, they get in with gangs when they get in prison and then they, you know, get in with more crime. And uh, that's what I hoped it was going to be about, but they really took a left turn when they introduced Tasha and when they started going into the rest of the film. I'll piggyback off of that um, 100%. I thought that the first beginning of the film was was good. It kept me engaged. It made me want to learn more. And then once we got that star-crossed lover's feeling, everything not went to shit because it's not at all true, but it definitely took a bit of a downturn from where the movie could have been. Um, I haven't seen Scarface in a while, but it was my first immediate thought was the the female protagonist in Scarface, the the same idea, right? You know, uh, anytime there's a, a damsel in distress involved in a gangster film, um, one way or another, um, we kind of see the same tropes where you are the property of said mobster, 
and the idea i always think about it from the context of romeo and juliet um in all of these films right the two lovers that are not supposed to be together uh because of circumstances and then plot revolves around said two lovers now i will say there were some excellent scenes um some things that involved those two um in general which we'll probably get to but i want to kind of touch on one that i really enjoyed which was the whole um ocean scene the swimming scene the idea that jr had to put the fact that he can't swim completely behind to go be with this girl that he barely knows but is falling deeply in love with. Mm. I thought that was kind of a vulnerable moment for him. Um, it was kind of interesting. Um, and the soundtrack that kind of accompanied that, which if you were going to get to soundtrack, I'm sure we'll also have an opportunity to talk about it. But um, we heard the Perth remix by Bon Iver as they're kind of getting together with the introduction of their um, tryst as they're flying away. And I just really enjoyed that piece of music there and i thought it was an excellent accent to that uh, particular scene can i just say that uh the the movies from that time period really like oh bon Iver, like a bajillion dollars and maybe like a plaque or something <laughs> yeah. like that uh, <laughs> uh well i mean the song's name is perth right right and no i mean i get it to it be just, like just seems based like in perth i've seen that scene before <laughs> yes yeah. i do think uh alicia Vikander as Eric said, I think she is amazing in Ex Machina. I put that down. But she really did. She turned, I wouldn't say she made gold out of straw, but she at least made like copper out of straw for being, again, a one-dimensional female love interest plot forwarder. She really made me believe that she was someone stuck in this crime syndicate, almost against her will. She, they were at uh, dinner, and she said she was being kept promised a passport, and it's been X amount of years, and the passport hasn't come yet. So you could actually see in the actress's face that this character was downtrodden she was looking for a way to get out and you know like eric said green dragon it it felt forced not as forced as that but it doesn't seem like like a lot of other characters in this film they didn't seem like they earned their where they ended up at because the movie was moving at such a breakneck pace that they didn't have time to stop they went from we can't be together to uh, him buying her a ticket on the on the train and them, you know, apparently fornicating a couple times. And then all of a sudden they're in yeah. love forever. <laughs> then at the end of the movie, they're, they're bonobos and they love each other forever. And that's, you know... Bonobos. I'm going to use that word for the rest of my life. <laughs> we should probably talk about monkeys now, I guess. Right? Yeah, so I of course have that question written down. Brennan asks JR, or rather lectures him after all of the star-crossed lovers stuff enters the scene which it's so much more interesting to me to have this budding father-son relationship of my life of crime and how i'm going to use you and raise you in my Let's footsteps versus just pin on I, that idea I, yeah yeah <laughs> and it's just like let's just put that aside yep, because let's... we got a girl so but anyway and father and son kind of advice he he tells jr that humans descended from two kinds of monkeys uh, they're pretty much indistinguishable, except that chimpanzees are going to kill each other while bonobos just cuddle up and make love. <laughs> He's like, you're going to decide which one that you've descended from, if whether you know or not already. That becomes then a theme that will come back to him later. I was going to ask all of you, are you a chimpanzee or a bonobo yourself? Kelly, I mm. think you know which one I am, so... 
I am a hundred percent. No, Eric. I think the audience needs to know what Kelly thinks you are, I, or vice versa. Yeah, Kelly. How, what do you think I am? Actually, yeah, let's pose this question back to you. Ooh. Is there a right or wrong answer? There's, there's not a wrong answer. If you, yeah, I'm not even gonna go. Go, go ahead. Oh, all right. This is too much. This is too much. Eric and all I right. are both lovers. We're not fighters. I, I, yeah, think, I think all four of us think I'm are bonobos. Uh, yeah, I would say I'm a bonobo for yeah. sure. I'm a hundred bonobo. I yep. like, my spirit animal is a walrus, yeah. and my aura is bonobo. <laughs> I have somebody for you to meet that really he has a walrus suit at his house. Oh, in Canada. All right. Oh, Cole, that's where he went. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if there was a question there or not, um, other than if we're bonobos, but Kelly, (laughs) that's right. Well, we answered that. We can expand on the, let's expand on the theme there of chimps. Yeah, always expand on the theme. Okay, I want to talk about father figures at some point in this this as well, if we want to do that now or later, but um, I have a theory that I want to share with all of you. I think that Brendan, is that his name right? Brendan, is the father of Tasha. Um, and that earlier in their life, there's a couple evidence. We see the the line where um, she mentions being a father figure directly yeah. to his face, and he laughs. Um, and then we also see kind of the moment where he's kind of protecting, where he slaps her in the face and says, you'll do what you're told. That felt very fatherly to me and not just a I'm going to slap you around moment. Whether or not there's any other evidence, I just thought that was a cool part, and I believed it from the moment that I saw at the beginning of the film, so I viewed it in that lens, that I thought mm-hmm. that Ewan McGregor's character was the father of Tasha's character. Mm-hmm. I definitely hear where you're going, because I had that first thought with the, oh, you're going to be father to this guy. But mm-hmm. she clearly has, like, a Russian or yeah. I mean, Irish. Eastern she, European she accent. She sounded Irish to me. I thought it was Russian. Brennan is Tasha, Scottish. Yeah. He's, she's, yeah, she, in real life, she she's Swedish. She sounds Russian to me. But, yeah. okay. And then he sounds very Scottish to me, so I was like, Probably yeah, that was yeah, probably. I, but if but if she was raised around, let's say that Russian guy in the gang, because father was clearly distant and away, because he doesn't yeah. is not active in her life, she or may have been imprisonated early. I don't know. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I'm grasping at straws here. I'm gonna just go with yeah. that. Well, that's fine because this whole everyone character is grasping at straws, so it's okay. You can, right. Anyone could be anything in this movie. You know, I actually. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, well, I think the theme of Chimp and Bonobo, it, it does go back to your, uh, what you said originally, Kelly, the kind of toxic masculinity uh, that they're trying to show with these kind of people. It's like you can only be one thing or the other. You can only be, uh, you know, extremely mm-hmm. masculine male that fights or you, or you're going to be like, uh, for lack of, of a better word, a snowflake that, uh, you know, like, or just a lover, I guess. But like what? probably overly masculine people would call a snowflake you know it's you can only be one or the other and that isn't really true in life you can be any, anywhere in between too and the movie proves that right if, yeah. if our main character succeeds and goes off into the sunset with the pile of gold and the women and says i'm a bonobo fuck you that shows <laughs> that like that's still a, a way to live and still something that we should be striving yeah. for as humans and that it doesn't need to be aggressiveness or die so yeah what are you, alpha right. or beta, so, bro? Yeah, exactly. Alpha or beta. Right. That's what are and you? The, yeah. What's the sigma? Is the other one? Sigma. Yeah. Is the... Sigma's both. Sigma's both. Sigma's both. And yeah, I mean, if you want to dwindle down, uh, you know, people's masculinity, you know, quote, quote unquote, to all 
three categories, then yeah, we're you know, it's just not realistic. I don't know. Right. You yeah. can't do that. Yeah. Okay, so we're rounding out on the edge of following everything by the story. What do we think on the ending? There's this twist. Brennan's going to FJR over and say, you can take this very small amount of the cut that we all work together to get. And I know I skipped over the whole guild heist, but that happens as well. Dude, we can go back so to that if we cool, want to. Though. It was so it expensive. Oh my God. I can't believe we're skipping over it. Okay, I mean, sarcasm please, for our viewers. Please, you, you lead this part. You lead this no, part. No, I thought it was very, very, like, a cool, like, uh, heist, so to speak. You know, it's not like they're just going into a bank and something went wrong. They're actually going to a mine. They have to, like, plan it all up to, like, where they get in with, like, the morning shift. And then they have to watch the motherfuckers, like, pour the gold. And they're like, how many time, How much time we got? How much time until it sets? Oh, five minutes. Like, that was so much cooler than them going to an vault and, like, you know, putting a guard at, you Agreed. Know. I thought it was a, such yeah, a, yeah. like... How many times have we seen that? People pour gold? No, 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 I agree. Oh, I think, okay. like, how many times have we seen the open the vault? Yeah, yeah, I like, think, it no, yeah. wasn't yeah. like your average it. bank robbery. I thought that was so cool and yeah. inventive. And I put that the car chase scene at the, at the end of it was cool as well. Yeah. I like that they went out of the way to like go get this pro race car driver that like clearly yes. has worked with them before and is ready to work with them again at mm-hmm. any given time. And he's just like, "When'd you get out? Okay, I'm in." Mm-hmm. That was a good ad as well. Yeah. You know what? A cool, a cool thing about it that actor slash person is a pro race car driver himself, and they just actually pulled him in and said, "Hey, you want to be in this scene because you're nice. really good at driving stuff, <laughs> and we need a driver for this." And he's like, "Why not?" That's so awesome. It kind of worked out perfectly in that circumstance. That's awesome. I also, I also really like the heist scene. I, I think where we're gonna end, or where I'm gonna end up with this, there's parts of this film I really enjoyed, and other parts I felt if. They applied the creativity and inventiveness of that heist scene to the other characters or all the characters that were in the heist scene, then this film would have been much better. Sadly, they did not. Also, yeah, I, even after the heist scene, uh, when uh, Sturlo gets shot, JR looks at the kids playing basketball, and uh, that was like a good like metaphor for innocence being lost. You know, yeah. like that. I was there just was that another kid scene like five years ago. You know, and yeah, with the squirt gun, where he's just looking at the squirt gun, and there's nothing else, just him in the chair and the squirt yeah. gun. And he's just kind of looking at. It. I thought it was a really good metaphor too, like that that innocence, that comparison to the gun that he's been using yeah. in real life versus the kids and and all of that. Back to the heist scene, I also really enjoyed it, but I thought that was a kind of a cool part where we talked about it earlier with bringing in the nephew, right, and just kind of how that whole thing played out. Um, dropping of the torch i thought that was kind of an interesting aspect right like oh maybe you're not we're gonna get busted by something as simple as a uh a flashlight um and then of course we kind of see how the whole thing plays out in the end there but uh it was a good scene i enjoyed it yeah it was another interesting call out of morality as well of like do not harm anybody if you do yeah. shoot them in the leg but seriously do not harm them please do you guys think it was on purpose that he- JR was wearing a monkey mask, like a chip mask. Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, I didn't even think about that until right now. Because he was pretending to be a chip when he's actually a bonobo. Yes! Oh, I like that. Oh, I love my own the fly theories. (laughs) That was good. Good one. Anyways, great scene. (laughs) Good scene. Okay, I'm glad that we did touch on the heist. It would have been wrong for me to skip over that. All right. Why would I do something like that? <laughs> How dare you, Kelly? How dare you? That's a six episode <laughs> I'm going to skip to the end, though. Okay. This time I'll do it for real. That's fair. Um, we have a twist, and 
Brandon, after all they've been through, is ready to tell JR he only gets a small cut. And JR says, Actually, I have all of the money. Ha 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 ha. My girl's on the beach. You fucking what? What do I think of that? You want twist? And like. <laughs> yeah, it, that, it, it kind of. I don't know. For me, it was kind of weird. It was very weird for me that he tackled him off the boat and the dude was immediately drowned and unconscious. Like, immediately. He can't that swim. Was so him, I don't know and how, he was how that done. happened. Yeah. He can't swim. Like, wait, what? How, wait. I thought what? maybe he, he couldn't like, swim, but no, he was like passed out in the, in the water. <laughs> yeah. Just, that was swim. like immediately. He must have yeah. just inhaled it. Yeah. And, like, that was Kevin, it. it's called establishment. He can't swim. Yeah. What I had said was, I was like, we've been told many times he can't swim. I'm like, this is like his third time getting dunked in the water. He's just like, yeah. I give up. Yeah. That's just, enough. I don't, I'm not even going to pretend to swim this time. And yeah, it's like, like All right, we just... surely, surely he got knocked out. Yeah. Yeah. Punched him in the face as he jumped off. Hit him in the face with his head. I don't know. It was just set up for you and McGregor to make that value choice, whether to save the guy's life or not, but. And that flash, Very okay, much. that flashback though, that was so bad. Just real, when that's he re, the like, yeah, that's... they went into that flashback of him realizing he didn't uh, have the money, and yeah, he does uh, immediately after say "fuck what," <laughs> you know, like like that yeah. uh, Australian YouTuber. Yeah, it was just so cheesy. Mm-hmm. You, you can't just wrap up all that in a flashback. It's like Usual Suspects, but like done completely wrong. And I mean. Usual suspects get a lot of hate now too, but either way, just the flashback. Come on, it's just way too easy to do that. You can't I stop will it. Say I was relieved that there was no death at the end of that movie. Personally, I didn't. I was glad that both their characters survived. I was glad that all three of them survived and rode off into the sunset. Uh, I thought that it was a happy ending in general, and I was pleased. And we can talk about that in a review and on that. But from that very moment, I was glad that neither of them got their head blown off in that particular scene. Too tidy for me, I think. Uh, I, I don't know. Right. I just felt the ending was very tidy. They wanted to make everyone happy. And JR, he was a convict on the run. He, he's just able to go live out his life. I, I know we have, like, I'm talking about uh, suspending disbelief uh, in movies. We've talked about that ever since we started this, but uh, there's a, a line there where I just, I couldn't believe that he would just be able to, uh, you know, avoid the cops the rest of his life, too, and just be happy, but, you know. Yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah. Well, that's what the sequel's for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, can I just talk about the non-twist twist for a second mm-hmm. first of all i completely <laughs> yeah i completely agree with eric uh that flashback was the most unnecessary use of flashback uh in a long time i put what if oceans 11 was bad and we all knew what, how they'd <laughs> rob the bank it's yeah. <laughs> you know like i didn't believe he went to get a candy bar you know mm-hmm. i knew yeah. she was gonna be around she wasn't just gonna leave the movie so i was like something's going on here and then they told us and then again i kind of agree with eric about how tidy it was was ewan mcgregor supposed to be the uh thief with the heart of gold because he didn't really seem like it really seemed like he was going to go through with uh killing jr until something happened at the end until he saved him from drowning and until he found out he didn't have his gold anymore yeah. and he's like oh shit yeah. just, he was like alive. i'll give you three hundred fifty thousand. <laughs> yeah. that's what he said and you know it's, oh yeah he was gonna spare him that's right but like yeah just nothing. yes sorry it's just weird to me because they set him up to be the sadistic piece of shit. Like, he'll shoot at cops for, like, no reason just because they're, like, you know, leaving in a helicopter. He'll shoot Sam cold-blooded in the chest. You know, he has a chance to, like, finish off a kid that he just met. He, like, thinks about it. And I, I don't know. It just didn't... It, it seems like he should have gone further 
as far as the depravity of what his character was led to believe. But they kind of took it back at the end. Especially if we believe that that was the plan for the entire time. If we feel like that he was going to he was going to run him from the very beginning all the way to the end only to shortchange him, yeah. then I would agree with you that like he seems like he could have gone farther if he was just stringing this kid along just to give him penance at the end. Yeah, like I don't get it. He's he's so good with a gun um and he's so good at just, you know, giving Sam the last two words. He has a perfect chance he's on a boat that he bought cash and if I was the character, I wouldn't even give him the chance to say that he didn't have 350,000. I'd be like, "Thanks for playing." Yeah. <laughs> So there were moments where he went like sadistic, but then there were other moments where he's like, Hey, wait, I have a code. Uh, and I think he did say about the cops only shoot at their legs or something. Right. He did um, say that. Although yeah. I will say yeah. that that makes the character kind of deep though. Doesn't it? If he has this kind of different variance in, he has that sadistic side of him where well, he'll just shoot Sam straight in the chest, but then my, he'll also issue, have this code my, of ethics. My and, issue is that they gave so little care to these characters as far as writing them as actual mm-hmm. people. That if he's going to be one way, he has to be this one way. And he can't deviate because the entire character that we learned throughout the movie, you can't just, like, swerve. You can't throw a guy in a freezer for three hours, you know, just to find out, like, where a key goes to. And then, you know, be like, I actually, I just wanted to give you $350,000. You know, that's... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I suppose you're right. There was not as much consistency As Eric from said, that it was too tidy, it. it was too clean, and... How many like great crime movies like this does everyone get end up with what they wanted? None. So yeah, right. Yeah. None. Good and point. it felt like I agree that the flashback was just like insulting to the audience, <laughs> mm-hmm. and also the only part of it that we ever had any inclination that Jr. was up to something was the chocolate bar scene, and then they act yeah. like all this other stuff happened before our eyes that never happened. So you can give your audience some breadcrumbs, like they're let a few of them figure it out watching the movie because then you feel real good when you have figured it figured it out they gave us like one thing and it's like work with that and also tasha's back she was here the whole time she didn't run away when she only found out she was only worth a hundred dollars a day or something or whatever that scene was (laughs) yeah she got all butt hurt and blew up and then all of a sudden like ah we're fine no problems there wasn't really like a a good scene of reconciliation between them uh, where nope. they could have cut out the flashback, shown a scene of reconciliation, just talked about what they might have been planning. But again, I I wish this whole movie didn't even go the, down this whole route. I wish they would have stuck to a theme of uh, how prison creates more convicts. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it creates this... Yeah, I completely agree. And part of the reason that they could have gone with something like that as well is we were talking about the basketball scene, the squirt gun... And it's like this 19-year-old kid who's way in over his head at that point, who's like looking at, this is what my life probably should be like right now. I should be playing basketball with my friends. I should be getting an education. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't be holding multiple forms of firearm that the military uses. (laughs) So I agree with you on that. Something else we have to point out. I Every time I host, I tend to just talk through the story. I want to talk about characters, but I want to touch on cinematography real quick. And I want to give my thoughts, which was I immediately with this movie was thinking um, about the rover. And I can't help but compare it. The rover does a great job of giving me, like, gritty Australia. And it seems hot. And it seems difficult. And there's this rugged terrain and people look rugged. Outside of, in this movie, I like the monkey mask in event. That was the perfectly squared in the middle shot of like him like ready to jump down any second. 
great. That's my favorite shot. Other than that, though, this movie, like, nothing cinematography-wise really stood out to me as, like, whoa, what a film. Um, It just kind of felt like a TV thriller, crime, drama Mm -hmm. for most of the rest of, uh, as far as shots, color, lighting, uh, any of those kind of decisions went. But I wanted to open up this floor and ask what you all think. There are two scenes that stick out in my mind and two scenes that I took note of where I thought the cinematography was really excellent. Um, And they were short scenes and it was specific. And I would agree with you in general across the board that there wasn't anything overly um, awesome to take away from it cinematography-wise. But it was the first scene where we have... Where Dave gets dropped on his head, right? And we get that that, uh, scene where we zoom in on the blood slowly coming out of the back of his skull and we hear the the tinkling soundtrack and that just slow movement. I really enjoyed that scene in general. I thought it was kind of like a finality of that's what these type of people get. And this is the way we're going to zoom in and make it look pretty while moving on to something better. And the second scene was when they lit the car on fire and pushed it over the bridge and it rolled, or not the bridge, but over the cliff and it rolled into the quarry. Um, I really enjoyed that far zoomed out shot of the flaming car going down general, just kind of that bleakness of the whole thing in general, I thought was just a, a cool scene. Um, and those two stuck out in my mind. Those are two really good call-outs. Yeah. I was, I was going to say Thanks. the, uh, the <laughs> fire car scene, because that's how I want to die now. That'd be a cool funeral. Um, <laughs> it's the mon- modern-day yeah. Viking send-off. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, and then the other scene that uh, I thought, because like Kelly said, there wasn't like anything like too crazy that they were trying to do uh, with the camera movements, which they probably should have in a movie like this. I thought... The gun scenes were clean, especially compared to Green Dragon. I thought, uh, you know, they were well choreographed and you knew who was getting shot and it was it was good. And then the opening, opening scene, I thought, like, especially when I thought this was going to be more of a prison movie than anything, um, they do an inverse on the bus. So it looks like his world is getting turned upside down. And I totally got the symbolism of that shot. I was like, all right, we're into some, like, cool A24, like, you know, cinematography. And then... It, it, it was okay. It wasn't like anything that I'd like write home about, but it wasn't terrible either. So mm-hmm. there were a couple cool shots. All right, people. Anything else we want to touch on, or are we ready for reviews? Uh, I think it's time. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. If I could be so bold, I'm going to go first. Okay. All right. Set the precedent. All right. So my do thoughts it. on Son of a Gun. <laughs> Son of... A gun? <laughs> it's so silly. <laughs> Alright, this movie was just, for me, a regular run-of-the-mill kind of film. Um, I think that there were a lot of strong writing points. I think that might be the standout for me if I had to pick one, other than the acting by Ewan McGregor specifically. Nobody else, to me, was just like, blew it out of the water. Uh, acting chops wise I know other people might disagree and maybe it's just like what they had to work with I just never truly fell into this movie um, in the way that I kind of wanted to especially having seen the rover and now I'm really into Australian thriller dramas this wasn't quite the same and I don't even have much to say it was just a run of the mill just kind of average flick I was mildly entertained I wasn't amazed I wasn't super disappointed it was just lukewarm water, uh, beginning to end. We've talked about a lot of things. I think I gave a lot of thoughts earlier, so I will jump to my letter grade. A fair middle in the way that we grade things is a solid C24, correct? Mm-hmm. C24 from me. Eric, how about you? Um, to me, yeah, it was just a very uneven movie. 
I love the start and everything leading up to like when Brandon got out of prison. I I actually felt like they were setting up this movie to be great, but then it really started to go downhill. They introduced the damsel in distress, one-dimensional character. I started seeing these plots from like a mile away. Of course, it you know kept going and like there was that heist scene that I actually enjoyed, but then it disappointed me again where uh, they showed you know the flashback of. Uh, uh, JR finally betraying Brendan. There were points of this where I feel like it, they could have taken off and they didn't. And um, also, I wanted to add in the soundtrack was also uneven. When they reignited a few times, JR and Tasha to, you know, like they reignited on the train, the train and on the beach, they had really, really cheesy piano music. And it just really made me cringe. That unevenness also makes me fall in the middle. And uh, I think I'm also going to give this a C. Going to be right there in the middle with you, Kelly. I will also suggest to my viewers, if you want a really good uh, Australian crime film that is probably this, but like done done well, Animal Kingdom. That's great. It's with Ben Mendelsohn and uh, Joel Edgerton and Guy Pearce. That is a really good Australian crime f- film done well. Um, so yeah, I have a lot of the uh, same points and issues that you guys have about it. Uh, I thought... Like, it seems like a lot of these earlier A24 movies, there are a lot of, like, nice nuggets of just, like, cool creativity. I, I, I can't get over the heist. I would watch the heist scene again, you know, four or five times just because of how it was set up, how it was executed, and how it wasn't a clean getaway, but they got away. You know, I thought the acting was phenomenal for how terrible the characters were written. Super fast-paced. I... You had to like rewind if I wasn't paying attention because they didn't give you a time to breathe. And the times that were slow were no, were, there was very, very little consequence to the plot at hand. I thought the ending was the most disappointing part about this film. We talked about it at, at, at Asium, so I don't really want to get into that again, but it really let me down. So, given all that, I think, uh, I think you guys gave it a really fair grade. I'm going to give it a teensy bit higher, give it a C. Plus. But yeah, it was a good movie. I just don't think I'd see it again. All right. So on the surface, I will say first that I enjoyed watching this film. Uh, it didn't feel too long. Uh, I did enjoy it from pretty much from start to finish. We've always talked about when you watch a movie as a movie reviewer, whether or not you enjoy it differently than if you were just watching it like on your couch or if you were just enjoying it on your free time. And I do think that that applies to this film. I think that if someone would have showed me this movie as just like a movie, let's say, you know, as something to watch or something to to take in before I started reviewing it from an A24 lens, I probably would have enjoyed it more than I did um, in this round. Some of the times we talk about movies that get better as we discuss it. I think this is one of those movies that for me actually gets a little worse as we discuss it for me, mostly because it kind of the things that I was maybe thinking about it are all echoed in what you're all talking about with some of the incomplete characters or some of the basic linear linear things that happened that kind of detract from the movie in general. There were some, some highlights for me that I touched on with the soundtrack and some of the cinematography. Um, I did enjoy some of the action scenes. Ewan McGregor was an excellent addition to this film. From start to finish, like I said, I did enjoy it, and I may recommend it to someone who's into that Australian Outback um, vibe or someone who just really loves Ewan McGregor because they won't be disappointed at all. Um, at the end, uh, I have to give it probably a uh, C plus, a 24, mostly because... It doesn't really fulfill any A24 vibes at all. Um, it definitely has some some 
detractors from it from a story standpoint um, and some of our lesser characters, uh, but some of the acting does bring it up for me. So we'll leave it at that C+, uh, and we'll go from there. All right. That was solid all around. I completely agree that this movie for me got worse when talking about it. Yeah. Where everything else we talk about, I usually am like, oh yeah, I do appreciate that a little bit. And it brings me up. This one brought me down. Yeah. yeah. Well, because like, well, sure I think did. it sucked because it sucked, but like, there was so much potential in it because you're like, this part was cool. And then you're like, but, and then you're like, oh, it's just this big, long, but, but that was cool. But, so, you know, the, the highs yeah. were high and the lows were really low for me. So. Jump, jump rope of a film. Kelly, you want to <laughs> yep. give our listeners a funny story of when I said, uh, you fucking what around your appearance? <laughs> okay, so settle in, everyone. Here's a story about Eric around my parents. My parents don't drink. My parents don't cuss. My parents don't smoke. They don't do nothing wrong. And Eric and I are dating, and we're playing cards. Dutch Blitz, if you must know. And uh, my parents and I also would do a lot of accents, and Eric wants to join in as well. And we're going back and forth, and we keep going, you what? You what? You what? And finally, Eric just drops in hard and heavy, you fucking what? And then goes, I'm sorry. <laughs> Oops, and no one bad. said anything. Yeah. It just weighed on all. <laughs> sure, I lit up completely That's red. So Eric probably, funny. You, you did too. Yeah, I got and we super just all, red for sure. I just moved on like nothing even happened. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, you fucking what, mate?